0: Our uh, scripture reading this evening is from Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 to 14. Rahab hides the spies. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shechem as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also would deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the Med said to her, Our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right, just a big thank you uh, to Steve and Ramon, Daniel, uh, you for reading Christine's words, but it was a symbiotic relationship, a uh, really beautiful um, opening of our worship time tonight. I'm really grateful. Uh, I, I tell people this a lot is um, uh, most often I come here with a cold heart. You probably don't want that out of a pastor, but um, I do, but that worship time really brings me to a place where I say, oh... I remember why we do what we do all over again. And it's just huge to have that worship be a part of it. All right, the setup for um, the Christmas story is always uh, Matthew one, it really is. And a genealogy that we see at the beginning of Matthew one is really just means Genesis, that's all it means. It means, hey, uh, where'd you come from kid? Um, who's your people? So in antiquity, this is—it um, operates sort of like a birth certificate, but I think even more than that, it operates like a resume for you, and it's—it's uh, it's more um, kind of that British, sorry, um, Richard, it's more British merit um, aristoc- uh, aristocracy than it is kind of that aspiring American um, meritocracy. Uh, who's your people or who's your daddy in the ancient world uh, is really points to like if you're an important person, a person of value, dignity, worth, whatever it is. And typically this wouldn't include women. We talked about this last week. Um, And the reason for this is that um, women could not inherit inherit property or assets from uh, the the family or the father. Uh, They couldn't legally inherit that property. So if you think of Galatians, it's really radical when Paul says about this new Christianity, these Christians, he talks about sons and daughters and how they are heirs. He's talking about how women are now heirs. It's a radical idea for Christianity. Um, so women couldn't inherit uh, property. Um, uh, this is Again, this is antiquity. This isn't just Bible world. This is all of ancient culture is that uh, their testimony wouldn't even be allowed in court. So their perspectives, their ideas were marginalized um, from uh, the ancient world. So uh, Jesus and God's plan, when setting up his resume, his story, hey, where'd you come from, kid, um, includes uh, five women in that genealogy. One would have been kind of this amazing, beautiful anomaly. and would be like, hey, isn't that great? But no, five. And so when we see five there, we know that there's an important element and story why um, these five. um, What what we're doing in moving up to Advent is we're looking at the mothers of Jesus and we're going to uncover what that means for Jesus in the Advent. And this week is Rahab the Canaanite, Rahab of Jericho. Old Testament narratives are are stories, and um, they include a lot of details that I would have left out if I'm telling the story of my family. Uh, If I was trying to start a religion, I would have written a cleaner holy writ. (laughs) Maybe you would have too. The the Old Testament is such a garbage can of human activity, and that's just God's people. We haven't even talked about the world yet, just God's people, uh, that any academically honest person uh, can't read the Bible and say, you know what, I, I bet it's about being good and changing your behavior and getting your act together and being the best moral person you can possibly. I don't think you can read the scriptures, even if you just give it a fair survey of a shake and read and say, yeah, it's about being good. No, because it just airs just dirty laundry after dirty laundry. Uh, We discover something, is that the Bible and the scriptures are not about moral conscientiousness or like behavior change regimes. It's, It's about the one who would rescue us from all of that garbage. Like, that's the point of the Bible. Huge vision of the Bible. It's not about being good. It's about the God who's good. And we see that especially when we come to Rahab. I'm going to tell you a little story of Rahab. And uh, she shows up in Joshua chapter 2, but then she shows up in Matthew 1, like we said, and then she shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, she gets a lot of press for a, a suspect woman. Uh, so I'm going to tell you this story, and then I want to just pull two very tiny things for our time tonight. Uh, it's going to be short, but two tiny things. And the first is that um, Rahab defines or redefines what faith is for us. And the second thing I I want to talk about is that she teaches us is that she redefines and defines who the family of God is for us. So uh, this little nomadic nation, they've been taking left turns in the wilderness for 40 years. And what has happened is that, that the older generation that came out of Egypt, the older generation has died. So, all these youngins, these young people who have grown up just in the wilderness, they don't have any experiential memory of Egypt. All they know is the wilderness. And all that has happened is that we have learned to trust God in this wilderness, and we're always pulling up stakes, and we're always moving around, and we don't have roots, and we've heard from our elders, and we've heard from other people, is that there is this promised land, like there's this place that God has promised, and he's going to bring us to, and it's going to be fruitful, and flourishing, and green hopefully, and we can, we can finally build a house, and not, what, stay in a tent. So they've heard this promised land, and they come across uh, the city-state of Jericho. So Joshua, who is the new leader, the mantle has been passed from Moses to Joshua. Uh, Joshua's now the leader. He sends two spies to this city-state. And uh, if you know anything about uh, modern-day Jericho, where it's positioned, and ancient Jericho, it's over 800 feet below sea level. And so um, water tends to flow to places that are lower. And so Jericho, ancient Jericho, is, is known for as the city of palms. It's in a very arid, uh, kind of bleak desert area, but Jericho is green, kind of like Palm Springs, right? And uh, it's the longest continuously occupied city on, on the planet. Why? Because it's a great place to live. It's a beautiful place to live. Uh, And the ancient city-state was no different. Now, let me just tell you about um, ancient city-states that were true in general, but especially true of Jericho. So you and I think of the inner city and the suburbs. What what we've done is it's flip-flop from antiquity. So what what, what do we think of when we think the inner city? We think it's probably gritty, it's a little, there's probably more poverty there. It's probably a little bit more violent. Make sure to lock your doors. Like we think the inner city is a little tougher place. But antiquity, in antiquity, the suburbs or the outskirts of the city are going to be the worst place to live. And that is because this is the the, the, the core of the city is going to be the most protected part. So you're going to have poor, impoverished questionable, suspect characters always living on the outskirts of the wall. Because when you fire a boulder that's covered in pitch and on fire, who do you want to suffer first? Well, the poor people, for crying out loud. Not the respectable, noble, important people. We keep them at city center. Okay, that's, that's the ancient... So, so Rahab and her family, they are definitely in the walls... Of Jericho, They are on the outskirts. They are poor. They are oppressed. They are impoverished. Uh, two spies roll into Jericho, and they try to play it cool. And so what they do is they keep to the outskirts of the city. Um, you want to go uh, where you can blend in with other outsiders. You want to go where uh, people kind of want their identity covered up anyway. That's where you want to go. So Rahab is running a little place of business uh, in the walls of Jericho, which is also a place where people don't usually want to be seen. You don't want to be seen. And they go there. That seems like good cover for the spies. Now, I want want to tell you this, is that uh, what Rahab is involved in is really uh especially in antiquity uh it, it is difficult brutal poverty it, It's ugly and it's brutal now um we might have a little bit of salacious interest here. I get that um we're in a sex saturated culture and uh and but let me give you just a little insight into Rahab's status and her value and her dignity is this, is um, dozens of ancient sources. We get this from dozens of ancient sources, but but, uh, especially we get one that's important in Proverbs that tells us about the price of a transaction for Rahab's line of business. And so there's a proverb that tells us that this is that it's about the price of a loaf of bread. So we know this, is that Rahab has a brutal, ugly existence just scratching it out. That's one. Two, we know this, is that everyone in a city and a community knows her value and her worth. It is the price of a loaf of bread. We can use you for the price of a loaf of bread. We know that. How much are you worth, Rahab? The price of a loaf of bread. So that's what we know. That's what we know. Uh, They get discovered, these spies. So there's some informant who is keeping watch over the red torch district, okay? And what they do is they go to the satrap or the king of the city-state, and they say, hey, look, it looks like one of these Hebrews are here. And the king hauls in Rahab, and he says, hey, what's the deal? We know, we know things already. Just tell us. We already know they were at your place. Just tell us. And Rahab is absolutely sneaky, she says, you're right. Oh, no, no. I, oh, of course they were there. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you the truth. Of course they were there, but, but, but um, they bailed. You missed them. They're heading to the Jordan. They're out on the road. But if you leave now, you could, t- I bet you could grab them. I bet you could overtake them. In Joshua 2, uh, the sequence is, um, the sequence of events isn't entirely clear. But it does look like this. It looks like Rahab hid them before she had talked to the king and before she made a deal with them. But we get this brief conversation between Rahab and these Hebrew spies. And this is what we see. Uh, This is what we see. Do you want to see what a profession of faith looks like, sounds like? This is from Joshua 2. And, and there's verses 9 through 11. Um, and, and you might want to skip one slide. But basically, she recounts. She said, hey, we heard about that Red Sea thing. These are secondhand accounts. Um, and we heard, we know who Sion on Og. They're kind of these brutal city states and how you guys just took them out. I heard that, We heard that, and then she says this. This is the profession of faith. The Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens and on the earth beneath. And then she shoots her shot, and that shot is this. Um, hey, could you make sure, me, my family, that we're safe, uh, look, I hooked you up. Now, if you would please be kind to me. And that's it. That's all we got. And then she gets put on Jesus' resume in Matthew 1, and then she gets entered into the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 with some big heavy hitters like, like Moses and Abraham. What? All right. Will we pay attention to this? Will we pay attention to this? What does Rahab teach us about faith? Where are you putting your confidence? If you talk to any investor and you ask them, hey, um, where's your confidence now in the markets? That's what I don't want you to do. Don't have patience for their little speeches about. Um, uh, don't 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 have patience for their opinions on how hot the market is, or don't don't have patience for what are the technicals, um, what are the different categories, what are the different industries. Like don't, don't 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 have patience for that. Like what Fibonacci wave are we in? Is it going to crash? Hyperinflation. Don't have them wax on and give you Warren Buffett quotes and Kathy Wood, and Ray Dolly, blah 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 blah. No, just say, hey, um, where are you putting your money? Like, don't 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 give me a lecture on on a, like where are you putting your money? Um, faith is where what you're putting your weight. You're saying. I think that is going to hold up and I'm putting my confidence there. Rahab says this, your God is the God of the heavens and of the earth below. What is she saying? Your God runs the show of things we don't see and things we do see. I know, I've been convinced that your God runs the show. That's all she's saying, that's all we have. Now, this is it, and she has very little evidence about God, doesn't she? <laughs> like, did she see the Red Sea thing? Nope. <laughs> she didn't see Sion and Og? Nope. These are second, third-hand, fourth-hand accounts. That's all. She's heard about the Red Sea thing and Sion and Og. All she, all, this is her theology book. It's actually not a pamphlet. It's actually like a like a... Chinese fortune cookie slip of paper. This is Rahab's theology. Uh, <laughs> this is it. Your God is big. He, he's, he conquers and um, uh, he's to be feared. Like, that's, that's her theology textbook. That's it. Aren't you disappointed she didn't mention justification? Like, what are you doing, Rahab? She didn't talk about sanctification. She didn't talk about imputed righteousness. <laughs> You're such a noob, Rahab. She failed to articulate a proper repentance narrative. Come on, that's 101, Rahab. No mention of the Trinity. This is very theologically irresponsible of her, just sloppy. She would not pass a God-knowledge quiz. Listen to me, smart people. Every last chair here is small heart. She would not pass a God knowledge quiz. She wouldn't. But she did put her confidence somewhere. And she's in the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. All right, where do you feel like there's no way that God could come enter into the cracks in your life to fix and remake and help and enter into? Think of how far outside the orbit Rahab is of God knowledge. Just uh, God knowledge. I'm not even talking about her moral rectitude. Think of how little she knows about God. This is how she helps us define and redefine faith. Uh, It's less important about the amount and the strength of faith, isn't it? It's less important. But what is your faith, faith focused upon? Now that's faith. If you need the phrase, I'll say it object of your faith. Someone's like, thank you for making sure that was theologically in there. So you can have a super strong, super confident faith in a weak object. You can. And it might kill you. I was hiking recently with my family and um, we were along the side, most of the hike, we're on, the, on this creek or little stream. And uh, we we're at Mere Woods, right? So there's some big growth trees. But, but there was one branch um, that laid across the stream. And you know what I could have done? I could have been a supercharged believer in the branch. I believe, I believe, I believe. I'm a, I have so much confidence. I have strong faith. And if I had walked across that branch, I would have been wet. And then there was this massive old growth redwood that had fallen across the stream. And my youngest son, scared now, wants to go across the stream And so he starts on his feet. This is great. And then he gets down, and then he's like belly crawling, whimpering across the redwood. Shaky, wimpy faith. But on a very, very strong object. What matters more? The shaky, wimpy faith? Or the strong faith? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The object, the object, the object, the object, the object. That's what matters more. That's why Rahab is commended, because she's like, that's a big object. That's what it teaches about faith. I've got a question for you. What are you saying in your life right now? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure this is going to hold me up. Yeah, this is going to work for me. This is going to carry me to the end. That's a better question. Loses the morality beauty contest. She really does. But she puts her confidence in the right object, and God calls that righteousness. All right, what what does Rahab tell us about uh, defining and redefining family for us? God's people, God's family. How does she redefine that? What does that teach us? What does she teach us? So Rahab is really not someone you want uh, to show up in your family pictures. And, uh, and and look, most of us have been around our families for Thanksgiving, probably will be around our families for Christmas. And yeah, it could be the close closer ones, but the more extended it gets, uh, the comments afterwards always interesting. I cannot believe she wore that. I cannot believe they said that. Did you see them when they? <laughs> Look, if genealogies are meant to show some validity to who you're connected to, um, what's the point in including Rahab? Like, you just, you don't say anything about her, you just leave her out. Like, like, take a picture while Rahab's inside getting a glass of white wine. Or at the very least, like, when everyone gets together for the family picture, you're like, Rahab, could you take the picture for us? Oh, <laughs> you're out of it? Oops. Thanks for taking it for us, though, Rahab. That's, that's what you want to do with Rahab. But this is very simple. Uh, who is the outsider and who is the insider when we say Re- Rahab in the family photo? Who is the outsider and who is the insider? Um, put another way, who is beyond. Who is who's just outside the pale of possibility for God to work in and save and rescue and remake and redeem? Well, Paul gives us a little hint. This is in Romans 3. He says, he's talking about righteousness, and he said, the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And he says this great little phrase. He says, for there's no distinction you can put the word difference in there. There's no difference. And then that, what? You pro- if you grew up in church, you've, you heard this young. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you got a little piece of candy. Every distinction, every difference that you and I use to establish who is in and who is out, it gets flattened. Who's in? Who's out? Who's, who's respectable and dignified and just worthy of kindness and respect? And Paul says, actually, it doesn't matter. Um, we are radically in need of rescue, and we are all Rahabs. I just said it there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is it: is We barely believe that. Uh, in, a, in a grouping of people, so let's call a church in a grouping of Christians that swirl around um, undeserved merit of God, right? With no difference, with no distinction. Uh, if, If we don't believe that, then we will always become a group that is trying to find another group, other. And they are bad, and they're horrible, and they're... They do mean things, and we demonize them, and we're like, and they're like, and they're the bad people. We're always trying. If the if the last three years, four years is time, we're like, oh, we are champs at finding other people. And what happens is we compare ourselves against that group of other, what, to find our identity and worth and value, respectability, nobility, whatever it is. See, God's people, God's family, if Rahab tells us anything about family, God's family should always not look quite right. We should be famous, just famous, for attracting people what, that don't fit, outsiders in every category of life. If Rahab is in, I'm in. If Rahab is in, you're in. If Rahab is in, so are you. So are you. So are you. What? As family, because. And we're not here as family because we're awesome. We're here because our God is awesome. We are here because our God is awesome. He made a way for rescue and for remaking. Rahab is family. Isn't that funny? Rahab, you're family. Yeah, you're a lot like us. We're like you. And to the extent that we can wrap our head around that is to the extent that we will understand the greatness and largesse of our father's love. In asking his son to enter into this life, Rahab's life, your life, my junk, your junk, Rahab's junk. I think, I think we can, I think we can buy into this idea that Jesus came to be the very best moral rightness that we could not possibly be. And that is true. But you know what? We have a hard time believing. And we have a hard time believing this because the scriptures tell us he who knew no sin became sin. The scriptures tell us that. That's true. This is what, the, this is what we have a hard time believing is that Jesus became the worst guy ever. We believe he became the best. He was the best ever. But we, we don't believe he's the worst guy ever. That's, that's what's the beginning of the cradle. says, oh, Jesus, he, he's becoming the worst guy ever. So that Ram and you and you and you and you and you and you and Tim. Yeah. And for us and for him to hold us up. Now that is a Christmas story. That's a Christmas story we're singing about. All right, let's pray. Our Father and our God as, as we move into this beautiful time of eating and drinking. Um not just to your memory, but to your life and to your um, great extending love. Would you build in our weak, wimpy, trembling, shaky faith and have it focused one more time on you? In Jesus' name, amen.